0: Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good afternoon. Yeah. And what a beautiful afternoon it is, here in Syracuse, I know some of you on Zoom may be in places where it's not quite so sunny as here, but um, we're enjoying, it seems to be a bit of an unusual sunny day here for this Ho G Spring Session. I can see the leaves. Getting a little bigger every time I go by the quince. It seems to be, you know, starts with the fingernail and then it, they're just just starting to expand. So, real feeling of spring and the service berries. The flowers are about to open. Um, so, of course, I would like to begin um, with gratitude. Uh, first to our teacher and abbot, Shingei Roshi, and of course to Shigan um, Roshi, Hokuto Sensei, our other teachers, and to this amazing sangha that we have here at Hoenji, and um, also the threefold sangha, um, everyone on Zoom, all over the world. So wow. Thank you. Always feels like a an honor to me or a privilege to to be here rather than there. Um, so I hope, hopefully, um, what I have to offer will be of some value. Um, I wanted to, well, well, back back to Hoenji for a moment. Um, one of the things that that makes this temple, I think, so special and unusual is that. Just south of us is Onondaga Nation territory, what's left of it. I mean, technically, we're on Onondaga nation territory. But the, the smaller land that the nation is on today, um, they've been there for thousands of years. They continue to practice their traditional government ceremonies, etc. And so, I
1: think,
0: I think a Kohan-ji is a place where um, the Dharma, the, the wisdom of the Dharma meets indigenous wisdom, at least potentially, you which know, is so close. And um, we visit the nation, people from the nation visit here. It's, it's a wonderful exchange. Um, and not by coincidence, I don't think. So and related to that. I wanted to talk a little bit about a uh, a talk I attended yesterday. It was called Kinship, Kinship with All Life. And there were two indigenous speakers. Some of you may, may have heard of these people. Um, Tom Porter, who has a Mohawk name I can't pronounce. He is a Mohawk leader. and. Or, I'm not sure if he's still a chief, but anyway, uh, a leader and speaker, very gifted or orator, and Robin Wall-Himmer, who of course wrote Sweet uh, Sweetgrass as well as Gathering Moss, and they were just an amazing combination. Um, so Tom went first. He was, he was asked to speak about the Thanksgiving Address, and I know some of you here are familiar with that, but if you're not, um, it is a practice that's done by the Haudenosaunee, it's part of their way of life. So for any um, meeting, gathering, school day, whatever, they recite this address, which is, well, in a way, it would be a continuation of what I just did. I opened by thanking our teachers, the Sangha, except they don't stop with human people. They go on to, anyone know who's next? Sun, Close, Mother Earth is next. And then uh, I think the son maybe next. Um, the Earth Mother, the waters, the plants, the food plants, the medicine herbs, so that's three Plants, the trees, so plants must be really important, right? Four, four groups of plants, the birds, um, the four winds that bring us this fresh air that we're enjoying today, the thunderers that bring rain, that keep all the plants alive that support life, and then the sun. So it's kind of going out in concentric circles. And then Grandmother Moon, the stars, and then the and it kind of circles back to the enlightened teachers and the creators. Now, I love this, at the very end, they say, well, if there's somebody we left out, if there's something like maybe soil nematodes or, you know, that aren't necessarily in here, then we thank them. So they they've covered, um, everyone so you know we might look at this as kind of a a quaint indian thing you know oh they thank the berries but that's not the case at all this is really a profound recognition of the interdependence of life and it's a transformative practice i mean that's what i don't do it but people who do this um on any, any kind of daily basis say that you know, recognizing all these parts of the ecosystem, so to speak, that keep us alive, is... It it increases, first of all, it increases your appreciation for those ecosystem parts, but it also uh, kind of brings us to this profound recognition of interdependence. Uh, actually very similar to Buddhist um, ideas of, of, of um, codependent arising in that. Of course, we are absolutely dependent. Is anyone breathing? Where does the oxygen come from? <laughs> right? We're breathing the exhalations of plants, and plants are breathing our exhalations, as well as our fossil fuel exhaust, but that's kind of another subject. Um, so, I mean, it gets to this, this question of, of, of identity, really. And so, actually, Robin Kimmer started off by saying, she said, I'm not who you think I am. And we thought, oh, she's got this, she's going to tell us some secret. But she said, um, she said, yeah, I, I get this, this oxygen is this exhalation of plant kin. Um, I have, thousands of microbes in my gut you know i'm just full of these life forms i have fungi on my skin i have you know we have these little mites that inhabit our eyebrows i mean we're just we're just these conglomerations of other life forms um so so i thought that was i thought that was helpful and her, her point was that this kinship with other life is, is deeply physical. You know, we don't end at our skin, and I, I think we know that. But um, it reminded me, all of this, particularly, you know, related to identity and who we are and this idea of interbeing, um, reminded me of, of the Diamond Sutra. And there's a great passage in this fairly new book by Thich Nhat Hanh, Zen and the Art of Saving the Planet, where he talks about, um, Seeing and acting in the light of the Diamond Sutra. So I'll just read a passage. The Diamond Sutra helps us touch the deep realization that we are int- intimately bound to the web of life. Sounds like a Thanksgiving address, doesn't it? With the insight of intervening, we realize we're never alone, we're never powerless, and everything we will ever do counts. This is a real source of comfort. The Dhamma Sutra invites us to throw away the idea that we're separate from our family, friends, and colleagues, and to throw away the idea that we're separate from the planet. These teachings invite us to experience a very tangible interbeing right in this very moment, to touch a sense of identity that is far vaster than we usually allow. And then it goes on, in the widest sense, the Dhamma Sutra helps us transcend any tendencies to have a superiority complex about humans being exceptional or distinct from the world around us, as well as the tendency to have the opposite, an inferiority complex, about being too flawed by our human nature to be able to help. We are neither. Realizing this can be humbling and empowering. Um, and he goes on, uh, for example, throw away the idea that our contribution begins and ends with this lifespan. Um, anyway, it just, it just reminded me of just another expression of the same thing from a Buddhist perspective. And this idea of, of human superiority is way too common. And, and, and Dr. Kimmer talked about this. She pointed out that, you know, in the past 500 years or so, we've been doing an experiment where we're thinking about life as this kind of a pyramid. And who do you think is at the top? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> right. Uh, And so we we kind of own the rest of it, we treat it like a commodity. Um, For example, I don't know if if anyone has ever seen a a zoning map for land planning, you know, kind of at the local level. You see uh, like residential, commercial, industrial, agriculture, you know, where are the birds? Where's, Where's anything for anybody else besides humans? And yet, this is how we do our this, our business daily. You know, in terms of how we treat land, we treat it as property, and that's one thing she talked about. And of course, this is serious because uh, we're losing species. Uh, Robin said, 200 species a day." I don't need to tell this group that we're in this climate. Crisis with fires getting huge and you know storms um, becoming more extreme. You know even here where we feel relatively safe, like we don't so far have these big fires. One thing that climate change is doing to our one way it threatens our drinking water is through harmful algal blooms. By raising the temperature of lakes like Skinny Atlas Lake. So it, it, it's it's affecting all of us, and I, I think we know that. So they both talked about indigenous worldviews as medicine for this, these kind of problems. And I would add Buddhist worldviews as medicine. Um, particularly this notion of no-so, of this, this interdependence, where it's not like we're at the top and we own everything. We're just one species among many. And Robin also talked about this idea of language, and in uh, Patawanini language, you don't refer to trees or birds or even the earth or even like Onondaga Creek as an it. It would be a person, maybe a he, maybe a she. So, um, so, so there's this idea of the personhood of all beings, which which changes the relationship. So it kind of got back to the focus what they were talking about this, you know, kinship with all life, not just human. Life.
1: My notes are a little scattered, so. Oh, and I want a little bit more about what
0: we're dealing with. Um, The uh, Cornell recently did a study where they found out we've lost something like 3 billion birds in the past 30 years. And I always think when I hear that, I think of the chimney swifts that we used to have here at the Zen Center. I don't know if anybody remembers, mm-hmm. but they would they would cheer and they would fly around, and then we had some work done to the to the chimney, and they were they were gone. So that's one thing that um, people say that that you know it's not like anybody's going out and killing you know millions of birds. It's just death by a thousand cuts, and the same with the loss of insects people use the phrase, insect apocalypse. Um, In fact, if you ever Google the word caterpillar, what you find out is how to kill them. You don't find out how to promote the presence of caterpillars on your property, which would be a very good thing because birds depend on caterpillars for nesting. A chickadee to raise a brood of young needs about 3,000 caterpillars. So we need, we need these caterpillars and yet we're killing them. Um, so, and I want to say too, if, if, if death by a thousand cuts, you know, many small bits, you know, we, we fix our chimney or whatever, you know, since they did the Seneca-Turnpike bridge, we don't get barn swallows anymore. So, if if we lose things that way, well, maybe we can get them back that way, right? And that was the point of the passage in Tik Tan Han that everything we do counts. And I'm not sure what we can do with our chimney and whether the scripts will come back, but um, if you, you know, even just, you know, planting a native plant garden or planting a tree, preferably a native species, because that's where you get the the caterpillars, um, you know, that's, that's going to make a, a big difference. So, so small steps count. I want to say a little bit more about what Tom Porter said. So he, he was asked to speak about the Thanksgiving address and he didn't really exactly, he, he talked about creation from a Haudenosaunee perspective, and some of you may have heard this creation story, but basically you have this this woman, sky woman who falls through a hole in the sky, and she's she's falling, and she's uh, caught by birds, by Canada geese. So they catch her, she falls, and then so they, they gently so they're kind of looking for a place where she can land, and they see a turtle. So they bring her back to down to this turtle's back. So some of you may have heard the idea that, that this is not North America, named after some Italian explorer, this is Turtle Island. <laughs> and he he talked about how. So so the the sky woman was pregnant, and she had a daughter. The daughter, unfortunately, was killed in childbirth, and, but from her head came corn, beans, and squash. From the middle of her body came vines and potatoes. And from her heart, what plant do you think? Very sacred plant. The showing to native people in this continent. Mm-hmm. Tobacco, yeah, it's interesting because tobacco, we think of like, I mean, if, if, if I were to smell tobacco here, I would like panic. <laughs> <laughs> and yet that's kind of the native incense of this, mm-hmm. of this continent. He said that, you know, when he had a wall in front of him, couldn't go on, and a wall to the right, you know, couldn't go on, wall to the left, while behind him he would offer a little tobacco and the uh, smoke just like our incense rises the smoke rises and so many times you know a miracle would happen and he would receive help so i'm not suggesting we start burning tobacco but um and so but related to the thanksgiving address he said when a child is born they uh, introduce the child to Mother Earth. And they admonish the child to respect, honor, and love the earth. And then they, go, so we started with the earth, and then you go on to all those plants, the trees, the berries. And so I mean, you can imagine this takes much longer than say a Christian baptism. <laughs> And the women name the child and the name they gives they give them kind of sets their identity for life. So that's the idea. So for example, I know someone down in the nation, her name is she who takes care of things. And that's what she does pretty much 24-7 is take care of things. I know another person whose name is or translates to little fire. And this woman is definitely little fire. Um, So, so yeah, that's what he talked about. He talked about this creation story and then the way a child is kind of set on this path from the very beginning. And, you know, right from the, and I think this is very soon after birth, you know, they start hearing this this Thanksgiving and they're taught to respect, honor, and love Mother Earth. So some of you have probably heard this, but um, Robin, Robin Kimmer talked a lot about you know, this idea of land as property or real estate and made the point that you know, we think a lot about, and maybe not people in this room, but certainly our society thinks a lot about you know, what we can take from the land. She said, let's start asking ourselves, what does the earth ask of us? What does the earth ask of us? And it would probably have a different answer for for each person. Yes, we take, but we take honorably. So, another, so kind of in addition to tobacco, another um, thing that's very different in indigenous culture is, is deer. You know, I think in our culture deer are considered pests, they carry Lyme disease. You know, we get sharpshooters to mow them down. Or on the other hand, they're kind of um maybe sentimentalized, um, you know, the whole Bambi thing. Whereas indigenous people they take but they take respectfully. They take and they use every part of the deer. Of course, you know, medicine is a really important part of of the diet, and I have been uh, to several uh, reservations here in the state and uh, to the forest. And I can tell you that those lands are in so much better shape than lands, uh, so say like public state land or whatever, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the venison, so the deer population is is, is, is somewhat in check. So that means you get more uh, plants, understory plant regeneration. It's not like the nude. But the other thing is, I think there's a real spiritual element here, um, you know, just in terms of ceremonies and this respect for, of course, this, this love, respect, and honor that they're taught from children, taught from the from from an from infancy, actually. Um, I asked a chief at one of these reservations where we were doing a biological survey, I said, I didn't didn't use these words, but something like, you know, what's your secret? Or how do you, or this is amazing. We have nothing like this in Onondaga County. This is just, I don't know. And he said, we just leave it alone. (laughs) So, I mean, they don't really leave it alone because they do hunt, fish, and gather medicines. else. Yeah, so the deer is is the leader of the animals, very important, and, and the deer, of course, is featured in our uh, sculpture up here. I don't think there's a deer clan, but it's, it's important enough that, that Tom included it in the sculpture. Oh, and, and related to this same observation of the condition of these forests, um, Or Lyons said, and I, someone knows this because I mentioned this Tuesday night, but he said when he flies over Syracuse, so Orm Lyons, if you don't know, is a, a faith keeper of the Onondaga Nation, so he does a lot of international travel. He says he can always find the nation because they didn't cut the forest down. I mean, this big block of contiguous forest, and you can actually see it on Google Earth. In this vein, I wanted to read something from this. Uh, this is Hilda position on climate change. It's a little dated, but but it really it still applies. The cosmology of the Earth being our mother is a critical critical part of our consciousness. We urge everyone who hears Mother Earth as a new concept to begin the process to internalize the cosmology into the cultural consciousness of their societies. So they're saying, let's not treat the earth as a thing, let's respect the fact that the earth gives us life, the earth is our mother. The spiritual consciousness of the world community needs to express thanksgiving for all of creation, beginning with our mother earth, at every gathering as a humble expression of our dependence on creation. So so they're saying, we will share this Thanksgiving address with you. The war against nature must come to an end as the earth cannot withstand the current state of abuse. So, I've been talking a lot about um, the nation and indigenous teaching, but but I do think, I know, that our Dharma teachings are also very powerful, important medicine. They certainly are for me personally, um, in terms of um, feeling part of something larger, Letting go of that worry, you know, comment, crit- critical, blah, 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 blah. I'm probably the only person who has that, but. Um. <laughs> um. And I think that we, here at G, at least, do, I think we practice at least some of what Dr. Kimmer and Tom Porter are advocating when these trees were threatened by the people who wanted to clean up the floodplain, so to speak. Now, we had a really good good turnout of people. Joan said she would lie down in the parking lot, if she had to. Um, but, you know, showing up is, is so important. Um, and we try to maintain our forest fairly natural, with some changes, I mean, some modifications just to make, um, make it a little more uh, accessible to provide some aesthetic improvement. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot I can say about that, but, but, but I, I think we do, and I think our practice, certainly for me, is also, a way to experience that interdependence, and and then to be inspired to act on it as well. And I know, I haven't been part of it, but I know there's been a climate change group that's been, uh, you know, talking about, learning about climate change and talking about solutions. I don't know, did you want to say anything about that, GTF? Well,
1: it's
0: finished. Oh,
1: okay um sponsored by the engaged buddhist the engaged buddhism committee of the zen studies mm-hmm. society in six classes run by um Choke, who's a member here Choke hillary mcmahon and she's mm-hmm. also a professor of environmental studies um at the and then her colleague karen bato and they combined Knowledge and information about climate change and the things that are happening with practices. Mm-hmm. So each time we were um, introduced to another practice that could help us to uh, mm, better accept, mm-hmm. or, or I guess accept is a good word. Because you can't accept it, if otherwise we we approach it with fear and dread. Um, so, it was very good, and we're continuing with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, thank you.
0: Yeah, I think another thing that certainly that the, the Buddhism contributes to this is the emphasis on um, developing loving kindness and compassion, right. but but again, I just saw a squirrel. You know, <laughs> you know, thinking beyond humans. Um, yeah. And and if we really subscribe to the personhood of that squirrel or the tree or the birds or our running down creek for that matter, then. They're deserving of our love and compassion. There's actually a sap sucker. Does anyone, do people know what a sap sucker is? It's a, it's a kind of woodpecker and it, it it, it doesn't really suck the sap, but it makes little sap holes in a tree and then it it licks the, um, or actually eats the insects that kind of get stuck on the sap and it's, they're they're drumming this time of year, like woodpecker kind of drum with their bill. And you can tell the sapsucker because they have an uneven tempo. And every time I do the shinray over near the the residence, that sap sucker is like right there, you know, responding. So, or maybe I don't know, maybe here he here's the call to practice. So and I know one thing we do here to make room for uh, birds like sapsuckers and other woodpeckers is is we leave dead trees. When I first came here, it was the year 2000, and it was February, and uh, it was closed, but, but um, Julie Ketchum, some of you know, she brought me here. And I remember that red pine that's right as you come in, you know those two pines? It was alive then. But it died maybe 10 years ago, but we just we left it. We looked at it and said it's not going to fall on any car. It's not going to fall on you know anything cause any damage. So so I, I think we we do we do the we do practice that kind of awareness here. And speaking of trees, too, I always appreciate when you have the, the windows shades up because I feel like I, I'm in the jungle, so to speak. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that a sutra like the Diamond Sutra, which is so, um, so clear about this, you know, no separated individuality, no being, no person, no, remember all all, we'll hear it tomorrow. That that came out of out of the forest. I think that that's just no coincidence. And I, I know sometimes when I'm playing the akugio and my arms getting tired and I look at the trees and I just I just take in the energy from the trees and I, it, it, they just give me strength. So so it it. It's a very, it can be a very rich relationship, and I'm sure people here probably have stories also. Trees or birds, or dogs, or cats, or whatever, so. I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but... um, I don't have much more. Does anybody want to add anything or ask a question? Yes, Roshi.
1: Well, you know, trees are so important in Buddhist Mm. history. Mm. When you think about Siddhartha Gautama sitting down. Of course. Saying, I will not stand until I finally realize. Right. That was under a tree.
0: Yes, that's so important.
1: I think many of us have a relationship with trees that goes back, certainly for me, to childhood, <laughs> to feel that sheltering companionship and stillness yet constantly moving mm-hmm. and harboring all manner of life. Mm-hmm. And that connection, I think for us as and practitioners it is really a our baseball. Mm. Thank you.
0: That's, that's that's so beautiful and so important. And and the scientist in me wants to add that the trees are absolutely related to us. Think of the The atoms and molecules that make up the tree, it's, of course, um, carbohydrates, and (coughs) fats, and proteins, nucleic acid, so that's like your DNA for reproduction. All of life is basically made from all, you know, these same building blocks. Um, Of course, trees have have a lot of carbon because that's how they grow. And I mean they basically I mean if you look at this wood I mean the floor it's a it's a living floor really.
1: yeah um,
0: so on, as, as Robin Kumar said on a very physical level we have that kinship as well as the spiritual force. Um,
1: Anybody else? So, um, as part of our Wednesday night work on the environment that this group has been doing, hmm. we listened to a video uh, by where the teacher Hmm. I, I don't means to sound depressing <laughs> because the way he put it ended up not being depressing. And you're, what you're saying relates so, it, it helps me to understand. Mm-hmm. What he said is civilizations may die. Mm-hmm. Civilizations have died, yes. he said five times. Yeah, that he talks about that in here, In yeah. the earth. In, in the life of the earth, planet will not die. Planet will continue life will continue yes but it won't be what we think it's like ego energy is right. if we think civilization is you know pinnacle it's our ego it's our it's our identity it's so if it, they go right and it may be due to our own actions right. but the way it, he put it. He was okay with it. <laughs> I mean, it's like that's is how it is. Um, and what you're saying helps me to mm-hmm. accept that on a deeper level because really, we won't die. I mean, I'll, I'll die, <laughs> 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 but we, we'll be here in another form. Mm-hmm. The other forms. Um, and it's it's all us in a sense, or we're all it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no. I think I think what you're saying makes total sense. In fact, there was a a forest scientist who said that uh, many years ago, maybe a couple a million, several thousands anyway, that when trees first became more common, I I don't I don't. Look it up for sure, but, but something to the effect that they're sort of the opposite condition we have today. They sucked in so much carbon from the atmosphere that, that global cooling actually ensued. Oh. And that, that, that there's some evidence that these trees cause an ice age. And so the author of the book says, you know, we're causing warming, trees cause an ice age. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's not such a big deal. And, and I don't mean to say at all that we should continue our squandering of fossil fuel resources. You no, know, I mean, basically, just, like, squandering is, is the best word I can think of, like an inheritance, just, I, I'm not condoning that, but, but there could be something bigger, I guess is all I'm saying, and maybe related to what you're talking about. Well, if no one else has anything, I was wondering if we could maybe end with uh, Metasuta and really offer this to all beings. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.